Okay, so welcome to another episode of On Topic with me, your host, Jason Kim. Today is the last episode of the season. And I just want to take a moment and say thank you for listening to all the episodes so far. This is sort of a passion project of mine. And for you to participate, even if it's just a few of you, I really appreciate uh, your support and your help. And just tuning in and hearing what I have to say, because just another millennial with an opinion that's going to social media, that's going online to express such opinions. But hey, that's the benefits and the perks of our generation, I suppose. So today, I want to talk about beer leagues, aka amateur leagues. The reason why they're called beer leagues is, well, you need to be above 18 years old, obviously. But these are leagues where the players are a little older. They're much older. They're more towards the late 20s and uh, into the 30s, even to the 40s. And it's really just amateur leagues. It's um, people coming together and playing. So today I want to talk about that. And you might ask yourself, why talk about this? Why talk about amateur leagues? Who cares? You know, it's just grown men in shorts often speaking a foreign language, playing soccer. And they're getting upset about silly things. That's really what an amateur league is. And what makes a beer league a little special is there's beer at the end and you get, you know, you drink and you have fun. And, you know, it's a, it's a healthier, healthier alternative than just going to a bar. <laughs> that's, how, that's how we sort of rationalize it, I suppose. So like the other episode and like the club episode, uh, there are two, th- two themes, or three themes rather, that I, again I want to focus on. The first one being community, that's pretty straightforward. Another theme being fun, obviously. I mean, it's fun. It's, you get to play once or twice a week with your friends, and you know, how can you say no to that? And then the last one, which is uh, the theme is a little deeper. This one's more about control. Control of your direct environment, control of your world. And some people might ask, where, where do you see that? What do you mean by control? I'll get to it at the end. So... Let me talk a little bit about myself before we go any further. So I grew up playing soccer. My parents signed me up to play soccer. I think like P- it was called Pee Wee Soccer back in the days. It was, it was a house league. So it wasn't really high level. House league, every time you see house league, it really, it's like, the, it's like saying intramural league. But you're not really, you're only playing people within your immediate community. So I grew up in NDG and I played house league in NDG. And then when I got to LaSalle, when I was 19, I played a double A for the LaSalle team for a season. The level was good. It was a really good level. It was something new. The guys, I, pl- I, I wasn't used to playing guys who were bigger and faster than I was. I relied more on my technical ability than my physical ability, but there were players who had it both. And it was the first time I was really being challenged and I enjoyed it. It was fun playing against harder opponents. But the one thing that I personally had a hard time with was, um, bonding with my teammates and I played for one year and I stopped playing in LaSalle and and I just kind of stuck with the Korean Montreal Korean Soccer League it was a community I mean being Korean it's an environment that I feel quite comfortable in it's an environment where I've already established myself as a person and as a player and I also continue playing in you know intramural university leagues like in McGill and at Concordia I had some friends at McGill that needed a player I was like I'm down I went in as the name as <laughs> I, I used to use my friend's ID because you can only be a McGill student to play in the McGill Intramural League. And I used a, a friend's ID that this ID you have to show to the refs before the game to register you to make sure you're a McGill student. And I used um, a friend of mine. His name is Jun Hao. And I used to go as Jun Hao. 
and uh, none of the white people would ever contest me on that. So they just let me play. And there's one time we had a Korean ref or a Korean uh, administrator who was organizing the league. He saw my name. He gave me a look. He's like, that's not you, but I'm going to let this go. Thank you, stranger. I appreciate that. He was also Korean, so maybe he was hooking me up. So yeah, so that's kind of, I guess, my soccer uh, background, if you will. As a kid, I played it, but I never really loved it. It was just one of those other tutoring chores that my parents made me do. You know, like any Korean house or any Asian house, you are enrolled in like 10 different tutoring things, you know, like I did English tutoring, French tutoring, math tutoring, swimming, soccer, piano. And then there was church, if you want to include church, Korean school. So I was doing a extracurricular activities at elementary school outside of school. And you could tell that as I grew older, all these things that became more, I, I developed a, a resentment towards these things. But oddly enough, it was, um, out of, out of all those things the the two that seemed to, that I seemed to be really good at, and I hated going to tutoring, I just hated tutoring, not so much of the topic. It was English. Turns out I'm really good at writing in English. I mean, I don't mean to brag, but I got, yeah, that's just, that's just it. That's just what it is. And, and, and soccer. And I, Soccer was a thing where I fell back in love with it. I I was in high school. I was in uh, secondary th- four. Oh, secondary four, which is grade 10. In Quebec, high schools obviously end at sec five, grade 11. I was hanging out with guys who were a grade above me, but they were all really into soccer. But what kind of started my love for soccer was their love for the sport. They loved the game so much. They they talked about different players and clubs. And if there's a Champions League match, they would always run down to the school cafeteria, ask to borrow the TV to watch these games. Or when we became older, uh, let's say we turned 18, we'd go to bars and you know watch the game in bars. And then right at, usually right after watching these games, we go to the east end of Montreal, towards the east of Montreal, like around Frontenac near Oshilaga. And we used to play pickup games there. Uh, we used to make our team, our high school team, and whatever friends they had, we joined a pickup game and we just play. And that's when I really started falling in love with soccer again. Because growing up, there was no love towards anything I did. All those extracurricular activities, I didn't like it because I could see from my parents this was something that I had to be doing. And I just treated it as a chore, as something I need to finish. So I can go back home, play video games, watch anime, whatever the fuck. That's why I hated soccer as a kid. Despite the fact that I watched the World Cup and the World Cup 2002 inspired me to become a pro player, there was never any love injected to it from my parents' side or even from my side. I was in an environment where they talked about the game in such a loving way. It was seen as pure entertainment, which is great, but there's no passion. And I think that's what I needed. And that's why I'm so grateful that I went to the high school I went to, because I was surrounded by guys who are genuinely passionate about the game. You know, like for another example is piano. There's that's the one instrument where I wish I knew how to play, played fluently, I guess, if I could say that. And one of the main reasons why I hated playing is because uh, my teacher, I, I never liked him. His name is Monsieur Francois, and he used to um, stab my fingers with his pen. He had this gel pen, this blue gel pen. Every time I see it, I think of him. I they still sell this pen. Every time I mess up my keys, because I would never practice, because I fucking hated playing piano as a kid. He'd start fucking jabbing my fingers and saying, this finger needs to get on this key. This finger needs to be on this key. You're too slow. Do this, do that. And, you know, 
as a 10, 11, 12 year old, I don't, I don't want any of that. I don't want that. It's, I used to have come out of that classroom feeling defeated. Uh, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And now I wish I learned how to play it. I regret it, but I have my reasons, obviously. And with soccer, it was, I'm just so grateful. I really fell in love with the game again because now in context of, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, maybe towards the tail end of a pandemic. Hopefully not a second wave, fuck, but it seems like it. And not being able to play the game during the lockdown has greatly effect, affected my mental health. And when I noticed that, I started wondering why. And this is kind of where it brings me here, is that I found my self-expression of who I genuinely felt as a person on the soccer field. It's a weird thing to say, but when you listen to musicians and artists, they say the same thing. They, they say, you know, I can really express myself through art, through music, through singing, playing an instrument. Even religious people go to religious buildings every Sunday, say, I feel myself when I go to church. I've, I know a lot of people like that. And those people are genuinely some of the happiest people I've met. Not because of the religion per se. I mean, yeah, definitely the religion has influenced that, but they finally found a home where they could just be themselves in a community where you could be themselves. And to me, soccer provides that. So when people say soccer is my religion, I get it. I'm one of those guys in, in some way, you know, I have a lot of religious Christian friends who would probably cringe at what I just said. But to those people, I, I encourage you to see it my way. And this is what really this episode is about, is how do a lot of people feel in these amateur leagues? Granted, it's just exercise. It's just fun. At the end of the day, that's all it is. It's community. It's fun. Get to stretch your legs and play. But for a lot of us, you can tell where you can see where the guys really dreams of becoming pro because those guys are really good. They're really good or they're kind of like the quiet types on the field. And just the way they play their movement on and off the wall, they got that they got that talent. They got that something. And it just wasn't realized because, you know, that's life, you know, only one out of a thousand kids become, gets to be pro and it just is what it is. You know, it's meritocracy sometimes. I mean, I've heard stories in Quebec where it's a lot of nepotism and a lot of money here and there getting his boy to play for the Quebec provincial team. I heard stories. Doesn't mean it's true. I just things I've heard. What I, well, the one thing I love about playing soccer is, um, as I said, the community, my teammates, when I play soccer with those guys are, you know, the, the, I trust those guys in soccer and outside of soccer. I, I know I spend enough time with them on and off the pitch that, yeah, we're friends. But on the pitch, what I love is that we hold each other accountable. We, you learn how to deal with different people. The one thing people sometimes don't realize is that you need to manage how you speak to other people, to your teammates. Some teammates react better when you scream at them. Other teammates react better when you just speak to them in a softer voice, let's say, you know, it's like, hey, man, I think your play would be better if you've done this and that. Give them kind of constructive criticism. Just leave it in their heads. Don't force it. Just leave it in, in their heads so they know that this is how I see it. And then within the game, they might notice a situation where my recommendation might work. And that's if they don't take it, that's fine. That's nothing personal. I'm just telling you what I think might work best. My teammates say the same to me, and that's how teams should be working. So one of the great things about participating in sports, not just in soccer, but in sports is uh, it teaches us lessons and values that you could transfer over in, you know, in everyday life. If you're in an environment, in a work environment where teams, when you work in teams, 
I mean, like most work, you can transfer that over easily. For example, when I just spoke about how to speak to people, you could do the same in your work environment. And I think that makes you not just a better employee, but it makes you a better person because people gravitate towards people who are not so overtly confrontational, but understands there is a problem and how do you work with it? How do you get the best response out of a person by examining how they are as a person? So if someone reacts better by you just being confrontational in their face saying, hey, this is the problem I have, that's great. You figure that out and that person will react better. So another great aspect about playing sports or playing soccer is you learn how to deal with defeat and how to deal with losing a game and also examining that and not just and not just saying, okay, you win some, you lose some. You can have the attitude, that's fine. But if you really want to improve, you look back into what went wrong and you fix it. Let's say there was a game where I could have passed the ball and that could have been a scoring opportunity. I will make sure that moment sort of haunts me. Not in a way where I become depressed and like, you know, super terrible, but in a way that I just look at it and say, okay, next time, don't be so selfish. Pass the ball to that guy. If he's in a better position to score, don't think about yourself. Think about the team. You get a thrill just assisting someone equally than scoring a goal. Scoring a goal will always be fun, but knowing that you, because of your play, you started that opportunity to score a goal. People may not worship you. People may not be like, oh man, this guy just scored 30 goals a season, but it's at least you know that he knows that he needs you. You know what I mean? Example, when Mesut Ozil was sold to Arsenal from Real Madrid, Cristiano Ronaldo was upset. He went to the board and said, I don't know why you sold a guy who gives me all the balls, who creates all the opportunity for me to score. I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy that sets it up. So I always look back at where I went wrong and how to become that playmaker kind of person. So I always look back at my performance so I could become that person. I'm solving problems all the time. Of course, I'm not going to become a pro. All these efforts, if you look at it objectively, is meaningless. It makes you feel good. If this makes you feel good, why, why should anyone stop you? Granted, if it's unhealthy, then you should stop. But why? Don't stop. It's okay to be hard on yourself, but don't overdo it. I, that's my problem. I, I get too hard on myself for things that don't really matter. The other day I was playing and my friend told me, hey, man, you're really hard on yourself. I'm like, I know, but I, I made a joke because I didn't want to get into it. But the reality is because if I'm not hard on myself, who else is going to be? You know, my dad's not here, so he's not going to be hard on me. And even if even if he was here, he wouldn't be so hard on me when it comes to soccer because he'd just be happy that I'm doing something, you know, doing something physical and not playing video games all day. Not to say that there isn't anything wrong playing video games all day, but I do see a correlation between internet outrage and a lack of sports. That's my opinion. And we'll get to that in a second. Another valuable thing about participating in sports or in soccer, especially in soccer, is... If ever there was a moment for you to move out of your hometown, at least with soccer, you're guaranteed to find a community of people who play soccer anywhere in the world. I think the second sport behind that could be basketball. I think basketball is just as extensive, maybe not as intense as soccer, but it's just you can find it anywhere in the world. If I were to move to another country, I wouldn't be so worried about finding a new group of friends because at least I know that if I just join a soccer league, I'm guaranteed to find friends there. And that's a really good thing because it eliminates the possibility of loneliness. And I think in today's time, you know, with modernity and everything, especially our generation, we're starting to realize that, you know, all those concrete buildings aren't, isn't so glamorous anymore. It's kind of alienating. 
it gets lonely really quick. And that's why it's equally important to find a community that, you know, I've, I was, I played for a team for a season, a short season. And I realized that a lot of them do work together in the same work environment or they're all part of non, the same nonprofit organization. But I realized that a lot of these people are not from Montreal and these guys really bonded through soccer because that's the one thing, that's the one language that they have in common. And that's a good way to learn and practice a new language, to immerse yourself in a Spanish, let's say in a Spanish country where they do play soccer. Of course, they're going to play soccer. It's a Spanish country. And you're, and that's great. I mean, it's, it's a good way to immerse, you know, like I said, not just immerse yourself linguistically, but culturally and, and become a local. And especially with millennials are very um, outward thinking. There's obstacles are seem more transparent than they are, uh, than they are hard, you know, and it's, it's a good thing to know that, you know, there is always a community of people waiting to bring in more people in. And just to touch back on the idea of how to deal with defeat, losing a game. It also teaches you humility. There are times when you could be on a winning streak and then you lose and you might get upset. You might see it as unjust that we've had a winning streak. This shouldn't be happening. And oftentimes you always end up losing to a team that you think that you should be beating. And this is poetic justice. Just because you're in a hot streak doesn't make you a hot team. Actually, no, it does make you a hot team. <laughs> <laughs> if you're on a hot streak, it makes you a hot team, but that doesn't always mean that you'll forever be untouchable. You, you know, you're not a Teflon Don because you won 10 games straight. You know, a reckoning will always be there and you, you need to accept the fact that defeat is always around the corner. You know, in soccer, when we talk about statistics in soccer, they always say that one goal one goal goes to each team. And often uh, the first goal being scored is a team that's the best prepared. And the tiebreaker, the tie-breaking goal, that, that third elusive goal to break the tie. A lot of the times it comes down to luck or chance. You know, one guy might have slipped up, one guy may have intercepted the pass, or there might be just a bad outright bad pass. And it can lead to a goal, like this famous Steven Gerrard uh, slip against Chelsea. If he hadn't slipped, Liverpool would have won the league that year. But it seems more romantic for them to win it on the 30th year of them last winning the league. But anyway, all this to say, it teaches you humility. I'm constantly humbled by this game all the time. I'm always encountering someone who is bigger, faster, and stronger than I am. And I need to accept the fact that they are better than me. And how? what do I do with the tools that I have to meet that standard, to meet that opposition? You know, if I if I'm if I'm stepping on a pitch and I'm not confident enough to beat that guy, then I should get off the pitch, in my opinion. But if you're there just to have fun, then fuck it, have fun. No one's stopping you. But if you're a little more competitive than I am, every game is a new challenge. This team might be the bottom of the table, but do not see them as a bottom table uh, team. See them as an equal. If you approach every game as an equal, you're gonna win. And that's why those teams that usually go on a hot streak and then they see an easy game, they drop their guards down a bit. If you really want to see a good professional team, not professional, but a team that has no nonsense at the amateur level, you will see them treat every game the same. But sometimes you see guys who have no discipline at the, at the amateur level, they think they're hot shit, and then they lose. And you, when, when you see them lose, sometimes they lose like really bitter losers. Like, it's everyone else's fault. 
It's a ref's fault. The ref sucks. That guy got away with all the fouls. This guy dives. This guy on the other team's overrated. You know, all that kind of shit. When you hear people say stuff like that, they're just bitter. Don't take it personal. Leave it alone. Fuck those guys. They're just, um, lack of a better word, they're just being bitches. Just forget about them. And that's what I do. Or that's what I try to do. <laughs> but it's better to just accept what just happened. Humility. And that humbleness that teaches me from soccer has really, um, I think that's a valuable life lesson that I've learned from the game is to understand that it is a democratic sport. Anyone could play it. There might be better who are, there might be players who are better than you, might be players who are worse than you, but you need to accept the fact that sometimes the player who is worse than you might have his day with you. You know what I mean? Like the team that might be shittier than you are will beat you or can or has a potential of beating you. And you need to accept that fact that it's going to happen. And the quicker you accept the fact that it's going to happen, you will go through your mind and saying, How, what do I need to do to prevent that? Even if you took all the precautions in preventing from losing against a bottom rung team and you still lose, you really need to learn how to accept that. And now I'm kind of speaking on the mental health perspective because it, someone like me it used to eat me up, used to fuck up my nights. And it was so silly. It's amateur. Who cares? You're not going pro. There's no fans there. But that's how much I take this game seriously. Not seriously, passionately. I really do feel a lot of passion for this game. So going back to the lockdown, I realized that soccer has really kept me level-headed. As a, as a source of releasing energy, for sure, but also gives me a sense of I'm actually doing something. And um, I'm in control of an immediate environment. You know, it um, makes anyone feel good. Especially in time of, you know, again, with this COVID-19 pandemic, we have no control. I mean, we do, but... We don't decide who gets sick or not. If you expose yourself to the virus, you're going to get sick. You could be the healthiest person on the planet, but you could still be sick. Granted, you may not die. The chances of you dying might be very low if you're very healthy with a good immune system. But what are the odds of someone you love goes down with it and may not have the same immune system? You have no control over that. And what I'm realizing in soccer, and it's very much the same in video games or any other sport, is your actions has a direct influence on how the, the outcome of the game. So, entertain me for a moment, and let's imagine the pitch as the entire world, or the universe, or whatever. And imagine you get to have a say on how the outcome of the universe or the planet gets to have or be. You know, that your direct actions has a direct consequences to the greater zeitgeist, I suppose, or the greater universe or the world at large, that your direct actions has an influence. So imagine yourself as, let's say, the president of the United States or China or Russia, England, wherever, that your direct actions, that your direct policies will have an immediate impact, not just locally, but to the international economy, to international politics, to the global community as a whole, that your actions has a direct reaction. And in sports, you get to have that for a moment or within the limited time frame that the game gives you. The idea that your pass, that your pass can dictate whether you win or lose the game, that the shot you decide to take or not can decide the game, that the tackle you decide to go in for or not could also decide the game. All these small little things as they accumulate will influence your outcome, your your most probable outcome. So you have a direct you have a direct influence in it, and 
why do you think these global soccer players, these superstars have the largest egos? Because they understand that their ability to flip a game and have the entire world look at them and say, look at what this guy has done. He dribbled out three guys, made a crazy pass across the field to make a goal. He took a shot 30 yards out and went top corner. You know what I mean? Like those, those moments were because of your performance, we're winning because of your performance, you are dictating the play, the game and the world that is the pitch. And you're, you're so good that the fans around you, if there are fans or people watching are only paying attention to you. Whenever you get the ball, everyone gets a little excited and say, oh shit, what is he going to do with that? That sometimes happens at the amateur level. When you go watch street soccer or pickup games, you all, there's always guys sitting on the side watching to get on and they equally love watching people play because they want to get excited see okay what's that guy going to do give the ball to that guy what is he going to do so of course you have an immense ego when that happens but it went but as i said earlier when you lose humility knocks you on your ass quick and i this is why it's the beautiful game it's very much like life it, it reflects so many aspects of life where you can prepare as much as you want you can work as hard as you want you will have some sort of control in your own direct life, but there's always that one thing that'll come in and ruin everything. Everything could be taken away from you at any given moment. That's life. That's really life. And it's, um, a lot of us have to learn that. We all have to learn that. We all have to accept that. I unfortunately had to accept that at 19 and others had to accept it at a very young, at a much younger age than I was. But yeah, like I said earlier, you know, my father passed away when I was 19 and it was in that moment where I learned that you need to accept the fact that everything could be taken away from you at any moment. And I really do have to thank soccer for that because it really taught me to cope and deal with those moments. You might struggle to see the connection, but when you invest so much time and passion into one thing, all the values and lessons you learn from it will permeate through your regular life. So when I think back again to the lockdown without soccer, it just reminded me of how small I am in this world. It reminded me of how small I am in this universe and how little say I have and how much when I think I'm making waves, I'm really not making any waves. That's humbling and also depressing. Everybody wants a sense of control, you know, and um, some people take to cleaning. I, I love cleaning because at least I get to control these things, but also I'm kind of neurotic and there's something therapeutic about doing dishes for me. But with soccer, you know, like with anyone else, we... You just want that one thing where you, you feel comfortable to say, I control this. This is mine. Whether I win or lose, that's regard, that's whatever. I have a direct say in this. Even if that direct say leads to my defeat, I'm still glad to play that game because at least I was given a democratic chance at this game. That's why soccer is so profound for me because you learn these things and not just with soccer, with any game. And also the fact that they give you a limited time to play this game in order to win. Again, how is that not life? You're given, let's say, 80 years on this planet to do something with it. So do something with it. And that's how I approach soccer. I'm giving, let's say, 90 minutes to play on a loving side pitch. Do something with those 90 minutes. Be memorable. You know, walk away where everyone on your team can look at each other and say, hey, man, we're a fucking team. We did this. You know, we're like pirates. We got this. We, we just looted the English Navy. Great. You know? And this sense of control and given an environment where it allows you to dictate that flow of the game. You see that in video games too. I see that a lot, a lot of overlap in video games. My thesis was on apocalypse in video games and the whole theme about apocalypse in the Judeo-Christian sense is the idea of 
your direct actions as a religious person will have a direct, there's a direct correlation to how you will influence the event of the apocalypse itself, according to religious literature and religious uh, and to various theologies. You, you, developers create a world for you that you have direct influence. You get to decide what you want to do in this game. Granted, a lot of those games are very linear and the game producers forces you through a certain path of the narrative of the story that you don't have really any control over. You don't know that. That's part of the riot. You get to play however you want within that space, within that tight space. Or there's some games that are open-ended, open world, and people gravitate to it because it feels like I am like a god in this world. You know what I mean? Like if you play Red Dead Redemption 2, you have direct control over this vast, vast, vast fictional America. And you could kill people or you could save people. Uh, that plays into the game. But that being said, that, that makes it attractive for people to know that there is a space where you could control something because as millennials, we understand that we have no control over the global politics. We have no control over what's happening in the world. We didn't decide for this virus to happen. We didn't decide for climate change to happen. You know, we didn't decide economic tariff wars between the United States and China or even the United States about to go to war with Iran. We didn't we didn't decide any of this. These are things that are happening at a higher level among the very few individuals in the planet. And. We know this and it's scary and we don't know how to cope with it. And that's why we turn to things like video games and sports, because those are environments where you have a say, you can control it and it's appealing. I think everyone, every person has a need towards doing something that they could control, that they could call it, you know, mine. This is mine. Saying soccer is mine is obviously weird. But I'm confident to say that soccer is my sport. I love it. I accept the challenges. I accept the difficulties. To me, that is fun, you know, and I always see it as challenges. And I think that's one thing I've inherited from video games is view every challenge and obstacle as an objective to complete. But the, on the only difference is that in video games, you are given an option to adjust your difficulty level. But in soccer, you're not given that option. And that's what makes it fun for me personally. Granted, you can adjust the difficulty level of soccer by going to an easier league but any competitive gamer or someone who pushes themselves wouldn't do that unless it's like a boss that's impossible to beat so you might want to <laughs> go down a level so you can beat that boss so at the end of the day what does beer league really mean in england they call it sunday sunday league but for guys you know guys like me we see it as a time to socialize with our friends that we may have not seen throughout the week or we don't see regularly. Or maybe there's some coworkers that you really enjoy playing soccer with and you're just excited to play soccer with. But I think for a lot of guys, it's they view it as both not just community and fun, but it's really self-expression. It's you just kind of get to be yourself. You turn off your ego and you just you're that's a pure. No, you don't, you don't turn off your ego. No one turns off their ego at soccer. Let's be honest. <laughs> but you just get to be yourself. And it's nice. I feel like the most genuine me is definitely at soccer. The very most. Because I, I really, in terms of personality, the way I play soccer, what you see is what you get. But there are moments where I, where I get hot-headed, I get angry. But that's anyone, that happens to anyone. And I guess this is a lot to say about my ego. But my objective when it comes to soccer is to remember it as the guy who's a team, not just a team player, but who is also a well-rounded soccer player who's good, who could, who understands the game, who values technique over physicality.
personally, that's what I always try to go for when I play with other people that I don't know. So as you can see, soccer means a lot to me. And this being the final episode, let me just conclude and recap a few things that we sort of, that spoke to me throughout the season. Uh, or that may, maybe it's, maybe it spoke to you. I hope I was able to convey those sentiments of how people feel when it comes to the sport or to this game. Like there are certain things that I did some research for this season. And the more I dug in, the more time I thought about it, even after recording, there's certain things where I don't necessarily agree with it, what I, what I may have said prior. And there's certain things that spoke out to me unexpectedly. For example, I thought about Liverpool's money ball like signings. If you go back to the season on clubs, you'll know what I'm talking about. And it's more about, for those who don't know, again, just to recap, money ball is basically how to sign the best players for the cheapest value. So you sort of, you rely on a lot of statistics and other things, but you look at you just kind of look at raw data. How many times can this guy successfully cross a ball in this specific area? How many times can this guy finish and score a goal in, in this particular area, you know, like inside the box? If they look at stats, it's like, okay, if you pair this guy with this kind of guy, you'll get goals. They may not be the most big name signings or the most flashy signings or most attractive signings, but they work. It's very pragmatic. The way it may not be the most aesthetically pleasing at times, but it is pragmatic. It's a pragmatic way of approaching the game. And that's how Liverpool won. And what made Liverpool so special is that they did what I, what I think a lot of corporate offices do when they hire new people. They look at your personality. Is this someone I can get along with? Let me ask this former employer or supervisor how this person might be in the work area. Liverpool did the same thing. They want to build a team where there is a pure a genuine friendship among players where they all got along, where they all understood each other, that they held each other accountable, but they never took anything too personal where it would disrupt the harmony or the feng shui of the team, if you will. And that's what Liverpool did. And I thought that, man, like that's, I thought that's great. You know, it's like, it kind of reminds us that you don't need to be an asshole to be good. You know, you, you can be generally a good person and be good at something. And I, that's the one thing that spoke to me the most. Maybe for some of you, what may have spoken to you is how the uncanny similarities between club or soccer and religion, or some of the stories of redemption in the World Cup. For example, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, I think he has a good redemption story. His first time playing for Portugal, I think it was the 2000 Euros, they lost to Greece in Portugal. Cristiano Ronaldo was on a team with Luis Figo. Like, you know, this team is supposed to win, but they lost to Greece at the final because Greece played a really fucking boring game. Let's be honest, Greeks, that was not a fun game. Portugal lost at home in Portugal, so that must have been devastating. And Cristiano Ronaldo must have been 18, 19. He was very young. And then fast forward 2016, he wins the final in Paris, which is the second home of all Portuguese people, apparently. Apparently a lot of Portuguese people moved to Paris in the 80s, or to France, rather. Uh, fun fact. And, and he won it. Granted, he got injured in the 25th minute, but he was applauded off the pitch by the entire stadium as a hero because they knew that this is why we love soccer. This is why we love the Euros, to see players like Cristiano Ronaldo tear it up. And, you know, it's fun. It's great. And to see the French and Portuguese fans cheering him off, I thought it was really cool. And it was very, that was a real class act from the French. They probably regret it because they lost, but, you know, <laughs> and 
he got his redemption then. He may not have played the entire game, but his influence off the pitch, the way he was almost coaching his teammates was, you saw the passion. You knew, you could see what winning meant for him. Not just for him, but what it, w- what it would mean for Portugal. You know, In the back of his head, it must have been haunting him that he lost the Euros in Portugal, and now he has the opportunity to right that wrong, to bring silverware to Portugal. I mean, that's... That is redemption in sports. If that isn't redemption, then I don't know what is. It's kind of weird to have men romanticize over sports. It's the most masculine thing that anyone could do, let's be honest. But I mean, the feeling is undeniable. Why deny yourself that feeling? Express yourself, you know? I've been going to therapy for two years now, and I've learned to not just examine myself and the way I think and the way I behave, to put that in practice, trying to make myself feel better about myself by expressing how I truly feel to, to people. And to be honest, uh, how I feel. And in a, weird, in a weird, maybe even trivial way, that's what soccer has been a consistent for me. It's been that. It's been teaching me those values of humility, holding others accountable, how to cope with defeat, you know, and the sense of control that I have immediate control of this, of this pitch. And the truth of the matter is, that's how you should approach life is Go at it, man. You only got 90 minutes. What are you going to do with those 90 minutes? So before I wrap up, there's a few things I do want to mention. There's a lot of topics or subtopics that I haven't covered. That was somewhat done on purpose because I want to read. I want to dedicate another season to soccer in the future. Maybe next year. I I, I don't know. It depends how, how I feel, really. But some of those top, like one of those topics for sure would be like jerseys, like the marketing side, you know, the style side of soccer. Now there's a huge movement and that has a lot to do with the hype beast movement of fashion that soccer fashion is becoming very popular nowadays it's come out the underground it's starting to get into mainstream where it just looks good you don't need to be a soccer fan you could just wear it and also if you look at soccer fans in europe they have good fashion sense you know stone island hit became super popular in north america last five years but stone island's been popular in england as a matter of fact in england if you wore stone island jacket to soccer game back in the days someone was gonna rob you of that jacket you know and that's do you know when you see in the stone island jackets they have those patches of the logo you could take off those patches so like soccer hooligans or the casuals when they were a stone island jacket if you see them take off the logo i don't know why i need to get more into this but it means that guy is looking for a fight i don't know i've heard this from uh from like these british youtubers point of rouge he always say something like, yeah, you see the lads with it, with, without the Stone Island logo. And, you know, he, he kind of talked about it as if like it was like a gang member wearing his colors. You know, it almost sounded like that. Or if you weren't a part of the casuals, you want a Stone Island jacket, they would just take it from you. But nowadays it's probably nicer and safer. But there's some clubs where they have a reputation of um, being a little edgy, like Millwall. Millwall is pretty edgy. But all this to say, this is all rooted in fashion, you know, and it's uh, that's another topic I would like to, just, you know, really get into. Like branding, for example, like, you know, Adidas, Nike, Puma, New, even New Balance. What kind of shoes does the guy wear? Because all that fashion stuff also matters at the amateur level. When you're playing soccer, at pickup soccer, guys are low-key judging your fashion, your soccer fashion, how you dress. What kind of shoes is he wearing? Oh, shit, those are dope shoes. You know, what kind of, not, not, not necessarily socks, but like what jersey does he wear? Oh, fuck, he has a West Ham jersey. No, that's dope. Oh, shit, he's got a Flamengo jersey from Brazil. Oh, that's dope. You know, and it, if that happens and people for... That happens to people when you go play pickup soccer. Not all the time, but, you know, it happens. A few people do see that. Really good documentary on Netflix where they touch on that fashion aspect was uh, 
concrete soccer. It's about uh, the street soccer culture in Paris. It's a re- it's really good. It's really it's an entire world of itself. If you really want to understand a street soccer style and subculture, I encourage you to watch that. It's called uh, Concrete Soccer. I think it's called Football sur Bitume. I think that might be the French title. Anyway. Uh, oh, yeah. Just one thing I want to touch on fashion, though. If you look at MLS, every single team is wearing Adidas. And there's a real there's a reason for that. But I think the main reason had to do with Adidas in America was always associated with Europe, European sports, that being soccer. And also it was kind of seen as like um, Adidas always occupied the American mind as subculture. You know, Run DMC with the My Adidas song, the street fashion of the like 80s New York was all like, you know, all like Adidas tracksuits with a gold chain and a Kangol hat. And so with MLS, when they signed that, that deal with Adidas, it almost legitimizes the sport in North America, a fashion brand legitimizes a sport in the biggest market in the world. The power of a fucking name in three stripes. You know, Drake says check over stripes, but you know, I disagree with that sentiment fullheartedly. I am a Adidas fan, so there's my bias. And there's another thing I failed to mention in the club's episode, a little bit of housekeeping. And if you haven't seen that episode, obviously I encourage you to go back and watch that episode. Uh, Notice the names of soccer teams. You know, unlike in North America, all these teams are... The teams are given based on branding, you know, Minnesota Vikings or uh, Miami Dolphins or uh, Cleveland Browns. Like, I mean, it's, there's such weird names. There's no fucking Vikings in Minnesota. Dolphins in Miami, that makes sense. They're, you know, it's Miami, you know, there's Dolphins, there's Sharks, there's Cubans, I don't know. Like, there's, you know, they make, there's a relevance to it. So Saints make sense. Browns, I don't, I don't understand. Redskins does not make fucking sense. I even cringe at saying that, not because I'm some PC guy, because it's such a terrible name. When you look at some of these um, team names, you could tell that it's pure marketing, it's pure branding. But when you look at Europe and you look at some of these soccer team names, it's like naming a country. It reflects your community, reflects you know where this team is from. It's not about... This is where it gets murky at times that it is a marketing brand. That That is what soccer is known for having teams like I don't know, Real Madrid or Barcelona football club, you know, football club or club to football or inter or whatever prefix and suffix that you'll add adds to the markability of the club. But that's because people understand that that's a soccer thing. But if you really look at the name for itself, it's literally this team is the away team of that city or of that community that wherever they go, they're not just representing themselves as players, but they're representing, let's say, the city of Manchester, or the city of Newcastle that you are our away team and you need to represent us and make us feel good about being from the city. Every time you win, it's not just a sporting win. It's we win as a city because of that name, because of the name you have, you know, granted it might be meaningless for a lot of people, but when these, when these teams and clubs are founded, they were founded for the people of the community. You know, Arsenal still exists because it's a, it's a throwback to their times as actual Arsenal workers working in the foundries in the South London, you know, and people always say that this is a South London team that moved to North London and now we're part of the North London community. That's why when Spurs plays Arsenal, it's about who's the best North London community, like who's the best out of the two. It's basically its roots is um, working class people fighting about turf that doesn't really matter, but, you know, it makes them feel good. So why deny that? And the last point I want to mention is when I remember when I was saying about 
sports has an uncanny way of reflecting life. I think sports is the ultimate demonstration of survival. You could feel bad for the losing team, but that's life, right? Pure survival, when you look at animals in nature, you feel bad for the deer being eaten by a wolf. But at the end of the day, that's just that's just what it is. You know, the deer failed to escape and survive and the wolves succeeded and now they get to survive. Sports is the same way. It's meritocracy. Are you ready to are you ready to prevent yourself from losing and actually winning? And if you look at sports objectively, you might feel bad. These guys might have cried. They made it to the final of a cup and, you know, they're crying because they worked so hard. And yeah, you do. You are empathetic to that. But at the end of the day, it's just survival, right? You, you can't you can't call anyone good or evil. It just is. Everyone's out there trying to survive and trying to win. And then again, it goes back to the idea of life. You're given 90 minutes on a pitch. What can you do with that? And the same thing with life. You're given 80 years on this planet. What are you going to do with that? So all those listening, I want you to keep in mind that when you start peeling back the layers of certain things that you might deem benign, you might discover something you might not expect. And I encourage you to go look for that because it makes things far more enriching and far more appealing. And the banality of life doesn't seem so bad anymore because you're finding gold in the gray. So that being said... I want to refer to you to a few YouTube channels that I think if you are still interested of exploring more of the subculture of soccer, there's a few YouTube channels I encourage you to tune in. There's the True Jordy. There's True Jordy. He's from Newcastle and um, he has a podcast as well. He brings in some soccer players in the podcast, but his image branding is about him, which is MMA and soccer. Those are really his two things. And he's he's a joy to listen to. He's kind of a bro, but it's it's actually a lot of fun to listen to him talk because he says the most outrageous shit. There's Copa 90. Uh, Copa 90 is pretty good. It's in the UK. Again, I think they're one of the best uh, soccer YouTube channels. A lot of cool stuff to explore there. A lot of good content. There's Poet and Vuj, who used to be, Vuj being V-U-J, Poet and Vuj. They used to be a part of Copa 90, but they branched off and done their own thing. And when I was talking about the whole soccer fashion hype beast thing, those two guys are a demonstration of that. They're perfect. And if, if you really want to understand the the passion people have of soccer, that's also a good channel. And the last one is Jimmy Conrad. He used to be the captain of the U.S. national team. He has a really funny sense of humor. I think he's um, his personality is much more approachable. He's an American, so it's more in tune with our Canadian sensibilities a little bit. But I encourage you guys to check him out as well. But what's great about all these four, as I've been saying throughout the season, is that they demonstrate the passion people have for soccer, that it's it's given them it's given them a job, if you really think about it. It's given all these guys a job and something to talk about and you know and have and create a community online and in person. You know, again, if you like seeing things objectively, I encourage you to see those people. If you're someone who's into soccer, looking to get into soccer, definitely check out True Jordy, Copa 90, Poet and Vuj, and Jimmy Conrad. I'll just say I thank you again for listening and tuning in to the season, even if soccer may not be your thing. And if soccer is your thing, I hope I gave you another way of looking at it. And I may need to do more of this. And just to give you a little teaser for next season, which with similar themes of soccer, I'll be talking about video games. And I'll be choosing a few video game series that quite recently pissed off people. I'm talking about Last of Us 2. I want to talk about that. So we're going to talk about that. Anyway. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being patient with me throughout the season and really breaking down these themes. And uh, from Montreal, I thank you. My name is Jason Kim.